Hello to our fabulous American goatees. We have a very important election coming up. Probably the most important election of our lifetime. Please don't forget to make a plan to vote. Yes, election day is November 3rd, but in 2020, that really just means it's the last day you can possibly vote. So if you're dropping off or voting by mail, get those ballots in as soon as you can. Head to voteforyourlife.com to check your voter status and find out how to track your vote to make sure it got counted. Get out there and vote, you horny ghosts! Hi, everybody. I'm Roxy. And I'm Prisca. And we are the, the two, two Horny Girls. are just two horny goats climbing the mountain of life eating asian american stereotypes for breakfast welcome everybody to episode 10 we've cracked episode 10 but in this episode we're going to be discussing death dying and grief so some really light fodder you know (laughs) (laughs) i know uh so priscilla why do you think it's important for us to talk about this topic today i think it's important to talk about because i think we as a society like don't talk about death enough and i don't know Mm -hmm. that we have like very healthy um views around death and what grief really looks like and so Mm -hmm. i know that for me I think when I've gone through certain times of grief, like I've been itching to talk about it, but I find that like either if you have a friend who's lost someone, you feel pretty awkward about broaching the subject with them. And so you Mm -hmm. end up either not or or going too deep into it or saying something that kind of like offends them. Um, And it's just kind of its own like feedback loop. How about you? Yeah. Grieving process. It's like painted out to be or like portrayed to be a very solo experience because you have to go through that alone. And so it's considered taboo. People don't want to talk about it. They don't want to cross or disrespect your boundaries. But I think that like, yes, we do need a healthier dialogue with people about discussing you know, coping with grief and also coping with the loss of a loved one. Yeah. And I think um, I read this book by this lady named, I think her name's like Caitlin Gallagher. Um, Mm -hmm. So she wrote a book called In Search of the Good Death. And um, basically she writes about traveling around the world, looking at different death rites and death rituals, um, Mm -hmm. kind of. And so she is she uh, is a mortician. And so she's kind of like traveling around the world, seeing different like ways, um, either natural ways of burying bodies or embalming ways or like in Japan, it's like super high tech because they Mm -hmm. don't have a lot of um, land. But then so they build these like little skyscrapers to like take care of all the bodies or all of the urns, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the things she was saying was like, just in the past hundred years, like due to the industrial revolution, it's completely changed our relationship with the dead. So in a lot of societies around the world, they still clean their own dead. They still keep the dead person, the body in their home for a number of days. Um, In Indonesia, it's to the extreme of like, they, they keep their, their grandparent in the bed and they hand them um they put like tea leaves and 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 things like that to dry out the body to mummify it um and Mm -hmm. they keep the body in the house for like three four five years Mm -hmm. um but because of the industrial revolution because we were living in apartments because um we had to find a way to like in a sanitary way move the dead to another place um we became more removed from the dead. So now when someone dies in the U.S. especially or in Western countries within like two or three hours, you have someone coming to pick up the body. And all of a sudden that body becomes an other and then it goes into the hands of somebody else who will then wash the body and do, you know, 
all the embalming and, and, and makeup and all that without your presence, without you being privy to it. So I thought that it was a really interesting kind of point that she was making, just like the dead aren't scary. They're just bodies without the soul and they are decaying, but there's nothing frightening about it. And we need to start to be okay with forming a relationship with it. Yeah. A relationship with death, you know, and I think that's really quite beautiful because like every culture approaches it very differently. And I think a lot of it comes with the perspective of how much are you holding on and how much are you letting go, right? Yeah. Because if the, that person's ashes is always in my house, I'm going to be passing them, thinking about them every single day. So yeah. I think it's still like a, a releasing process, you know, and is mm-hmm. it healthy to how do you move on from something like that? How do you Oof. move on from the end of a cycle? Because that's really all it is, is that it's the end of a cycle. But yeah. I'm so excited to dive into this subject yes, um, because our relationship and our view of death definitely changes as we get older. hundred percent. So how have you been though? It's been a while since we've spoken to each other. I know it's literally been two weeks and it feels like a million years. Like <laughs> two weeks for us feels like 10 years. You know what I mean? I like know. if I don't talk to you every hour on the hour, um, but you know, just so everybody knows like Roxy again is in Utah and she's working so hard um, on this project, which I'll let you talk about too. But yeah, for me, you know, to be totally honest, um, you know, we were supposed to have a, a recording session a week ago and I I literally told you I was like I'm so burnt mm. out or I'm yeah. on the I'm teetering on like a really bad burnout I need to take a little break right and I think it's funny when you do that like when you decide to take a break sometimes like your body shows you how much you actually had pent up mm. you know and mm. all of a sudden it was like whatever I was holding inside of me I could almost feel like my blood turning toxic or like acidic you know what I mean I could almost like feel like every breath that I was taking was almost like burning in in my chest not not in like a I can't breathe way but like just like something was not good that was inside of me that I'd been holding in for way longer and you know I know a lot of us like Asian Americans we can carry a lot of grief and pain without it showing I I would say we're kind of like cats like cats Mm -hmm. you never know when they're ailing Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just kind of the way we've been brought up. And I'm not mad about it, but I think even for like you and I, like people that are constantly trying to check in with our inner self, like even we fall into these same patterns of of getting more burnt out than we realize we are, you know. And what were the things that like culminated to that moment? Did you know what those symptoms, not symptoms, but like what those factors were? I think that. I had been beating myself up for for the past year or so for not being productive enough. And mm-hmm. I've currently in the past like three, four months been more productive than I've ever been in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been, you know, just so happy, though. Like I, the weird thing is I was so happy. I was like, yes, like waking up at 730 doing whatever, um, like working out with friends and then like working from nine till nine, you know, and I was like so happy, um, but not really realizing that one, we're we're still in the midst of pandemic. And I think like I was telling you, like on the phone, like I think we're more brittle than we realize sometimes in this time, because usually we could grunt certain things out. But this is like we are going through so much collective trauma that like we need to I need to give myself more grace and like realize that I'm not as snappy of a rubber band or as flexible of a rubber band as I used to be. And part of its age. (laughs) But so what it culminated into was I took a break one morning. I was like, I'm just going to like lay here and watch 
Great British Baking Show. Yes. Oh my God. The most therapeutic like TV show yes. ever. The best. It is the best show. So I love soothing. it. You can binge all season uh, in like five five seconds. Like I would watch all of it. Right. And I heard like British people can't watch it because it encompasses all like of the anxieties of the British like culture, you know. But I was like for an American, it's so nuanced. Yeah, yeah, it's so great. Um, and so I I like took a break and I watched it, and then all of a sudden I realized like I was just totally. Um, like my body started like reacting, like I was aching in places and I, I wasn't like actually sick. I was just aching and not feeling well. Like, you know what I mean? Everything kind of hurt. Everything was uncomfortable. Um, I was just like lethargic all of a sudden. And it took me like two or three days. And I was like, fuck, like my body was just saying like, fuck you. I'm exhausted. If we don't fucking slow down this train, like this shit is not sustainable, you know? So it was a good wake up call for me. And I think I love being go, go, go. And I'm honestly ashamed when I have to tell like even like my partner, like you, like I'm ashamed when I have to say like, I actually can't do it today because it's not in my personality, but it's like, if we talk about it on this show and everything that I work on with my life coach, if I'm not trying to follow it, even though it like makes me feel icky, you know, what's the point of all of it? A hundred percent. I'm so proud of you, babe. And I'm glad that you're feeling better. Thank you. How are you doing? Tell me what's (laughs) been going on in Utah. (laughs) Well, everybody, I mean, I know that our episodes sort of like release a couple weeks after we record them, but right now in the present, um, Utah cases are soaring like oh crazy. Um, I know that like Europe is going through their second wave and like oh, the U.S. like what is it? We broke like $50,000, uh, $50,000, 50,000 cases in, in a, a day. day. Yeah, it is crazy. Like it is basically out of control, spiraling out of control. And um, it is kind of scary because like I would go into shops and people will not be respecting social distancing or mask wearing. And, and that gives me a lot of anxiety yeah. in terms of like my job. We're shooting uh, 630 to 630, 6:30 p.m. through the morning. Oh I drive God. home. The sun is rising. Oh and that, the, the, the show itself is great. Like I love being back on set. I love doing what I do. Yeah. Everyone's taking precautionary measures. We're testing every two days. But it's the frustrating part is like what I can't control outside of not being on set. Yeah. Like, you know, the time spent alone or like going to the grocery store or like trying to do things and like seeing that people are just not trying to respect social, the COVID precautions. Yeah. And that is just like, well, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like that gives me so much anxiety and uh, it just adds on to the insurmountable pile of shit that we've been dealing all year wow. you know and I, yeah. I just it just feels very fucking real um Fuck. but you know and then like today um I was getting my car fixed and then there was a Trump rally oh, literally God. happening down the street and then was it huge um, it was huge literally everybody you know and it's just like being it's just weird being in an environment like that where you're just like such an outsider and you know my experience in utah has been great like people are respectful you know like we're we're all human beings like you know face-to-face interaction that's i mean 
hopefully with masks, totally fine, you know? And, um, but it's just like your beliefs and value systems and like seeing what they fight for, like, despite everything that Trump has been like toxically, like, you, you know, like yeah. spreading in not only his, his COVID diagnosis, but like also in his attitude, his persona, his lies, you yeah. know, like it, it just makes me very anxious. And, you know, the election is less than a month away during this time, a month from now, Jesus. we will know what kind of world we're going to be setting up for yeah. in the next four years. You know what I'm saying? So like, I think all of this is like creating as I like, I'm sort of spiraling in a world that I'm like living in right now yeah. because I, I, I've been away from LA for over a month now. And like, um, this experience has just been extremely triggering, but also eye opening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And not to have like your community around you, Yeah, I think is, is really tough. And I think, like, you know, it takes 30 days to have a habit. Like now you have a habit of like living in Utah and it's not mm -hmm. just a short term, like quirky, fun thing anymore. Like mm -hmm. you're living there right now. Yes. You know, you're, you're getting and like the honeymoon stage. I mean, it's still so beautiful here. Yeah. You know, like I, I love I love the landscape. I love, you know how gorgeous it is here and the people here are are wonderful um when you connect on a humanistic manner but sure. like aside from that i think i also feel like i'm lying to myself like you know what i mean yeah. like i'm a this isn't really my world this isn't really the life i created and pretty soon i have to go back and face it mm. right so um but aside from that you know i just love being back on set again, like working on this show is making me so happy. Like it's bringing back like the person I used to be before all of this happened. And I am somebody who finds a lot of my identity in my job, you know, and like yeah. what I'm good at and I take a lot of pride in it. So being it gives in you that, purpose, you know, yeah, yeah, it is. And, and it just felt, it just feels good again, but, um, it doesn't, you know, avoid the fact that there's still a pandemic out there and yeah. things are still very uncertain yeah. on the global scale. And it could threaten your work every day. Yeah. But um, hey, Prisca, but you got some good news, right? Oh, yeah. Let me tell you some good news because yeah, I mean, positive sprinkles care. <laughs> the world is literally falling apart. And um, OK, so, you know, Roxy and I, we manifested this podcast. <laughs> um, yes, we did. And so and and we have been, you know, man, and Roxy's been teaching me how to manifest in my life. And I just want mm. to tell everybody that our podcast is working. Um, so I think a couple weeks ago, my unsolicited pick was Gracie Abrams. Um, and so like. Like I told my friend who um, she's she's uh, she's a Singaporean rock star. Actually, you're going to hear her song at the end of one of our episodes. Um, and so her, her name's Inch Chua. She's one of my BFFs, but she lives in Singapore and she's she's on a label in Singapore. And so they were doing a special fan meet and greet with Gracie Abrams on <gasps> Zoom. <laughs> and of course, like, you know, I again, I'm a super fan of this 21 year old girl who like <laughs> lives in in freaking like LA. So I could probably like bump into her if I really wanted to get crazy. But so she was like, hey, I'm like, I'm like, I'm hosting this like interview, like fan meetup with um, Gracie Abrams. And it's going to be just like girls from like girls and boys from like Singapore. Um, do you want to do you want to be one of the fans? And like um, and she's like, and I'll like lottery your question. Oh so I had God. like one question um, that I spent. I like I like I like ran a few by my husband and he was like, mm, that's not good enough. Like, mm, like, you know, come on, you're a singer. Like, you're not going to want to answer that, you know? And I was like, OK, OK. So I really thought about it. And then I get I was nervous all day, Roxy. I was like literally nervous all day. Um, and so I finally like get there and like I'm like chattering away with everybody in the zoom and then gracie shows up and i'm like oh my god 
I'm so good. And she was so cute and like so LA. And then yes. um, basically, I asked my question, which was, if you had 24 hours in a pre-COVID LA, what would you? What are two things you would go do, and what are two things you would go eat? Mm-hmm. And so. Like, basically, we found out that we both have the same movie theater in L.A., which is the Landmark Theater, which I hope will open up again. And then her second thing that she would go do was to go um, see her best friend, which I thought was so wholesome because that's what I would do. I would go see Roxy. Um, Clearly. (laughs) Duh. Um, And um, so anyway, it was just super cute. And then she kept saying, oh, my God, we're the same person. And I was like, Gracie, I know you probably say this to everybody, but I am dying. That's amazing. Look at this podcast manifesting incredible shit for us, girl. Manifesting. So thank you, Inch. Um, Thank you so much for making that happen because you changed my life. It was so great. It was a little bright little star in the midst of a dark ass quarantine. You know what I'm saying? Hell yeah. No, I was so happy when you texted me that. And in terms of dark ass quarantine, dark ass year was coming up super soon. What's coming up? What's coming up? Voting day. Voting. Make sure to get your ballot, you guys. Make sure you're registered yes. to vote. I mean, you should be registered to vote at this point. Just please, yes. please, please, please vote. vote. I mean, it is a privilege to vote. It is, you know, just uh, perform your civic duty. Yes. This is the most important election in all of American history. And really, it doesn't matter which way you lean. It doesn't matter, you know, whether you agree with us politically or not. That's fine. Just vote. Like, make your voices heard. And I would also say, like, for Asian Americans, like, we have the power to move the needle. Like, we, if we come out in droves, we have the power to move the needle. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Your vote has power. So please, please go vote. It's easy. It's quick. It's fast. It's hot. All the kids are doing it. (laughs) And that being said, we're going to dive right into our episode today. And before we dive into the topic of um, death and grief, uh, we just want to be able to put out a trigger warning. So we are Mm going to be talking about, you know, probably some uncomfortable topics. So this is just for everybody to be aware of um, while we go into this episode. So topic one. What was your first encounter with death, Priscilla? Um, okay, so my earliest encounter with death was definitely um, my grandfather died of pancreatic cancer when I was 12 years old. Um, and he, it was kind of sad. Um, I mean, obviously it was sad, but I didn't know my grandfather super well because he was living in Taiwan. He was working for the Taiwanese government and he had like a pretty nice cushy life, um, for himself. And he was getting ready to retire. He was like, I'm, I'm retiring. I'm coming to the U S you know, my grandmother had been in the U S for like 20 years at that point, give or take Mm, maybe mm. 15, 20 years. Um, and he was like, I'm retiring. I'm coming. We're going to live a life of leisure. We're going to travel. We're going to do all these things. Um, and then out of nowhere, like he was rushed to the hospital one day, they opened him up and they realized like he had pancreatic cancer that was just metastasized all over his internal <gasps> organs. Oh my God. So, you know, kind of like the movie, um, what's the Aquafina movie? Um, of the farewell, the farewell, kind of like in the farewell, you have a choice whether or not you want to tell your family member. And, mm-hmm. um, at the time, like my family didn't tell him that he was dying. Um, but he could feel it. He could sense it. Like he was dropping weight. Like he was kind of a bigger man and he was dropping weight. Um, he was doing all these treatments. He was losing strength. Um, and I remember like my mom and all my aunts flew back to Taiwan to care for him. Um, but the irony of it is within three months he passed away and it was like, he was just about to retire and like get a move on, on his life. And he passed away 
before any of that could happen. How old were you? I was 12, 12 or 13, Mm. right? Like right before being 13. Um, and I remember I had broken my, my knee in gymnastics and, um, my mom like had a choice whether or not to come back or not. So I, I dealt with like, she dealt with having like a kid in the States being injured, you know? And so I can't really imagine just how much stress she was going through. But that was like, that was my first like family encounter with death. Um, my first like encounter of death, like seeing it was at Walnut high school. There was this one kid I think he was a junior um, and this girl had broken up with him. So he brought a BB gun to school. And during a lunch hour, I was eating there like in the planters. Um, and I heard this like pop. And I thought someone had like popped a bag of chips or popped something. And all of a sudden, like you just heard screams <gasps> and then like teachers and like, you know, c- security people started coming out of the woodwork running and the entire school went silent and we just stood in a circle around him. Um, but he shot through his stomach lining and he bled out. And like before the ambulance got him, um, cause I don't think he died until he got into the ambulance, but his ex-girlfriend came running, like screaming down the back of the, of the quad. And it took like three or four teachers to like grab her cause they didn't want her to see him. Um, and I don't know if she ended up seeing him or not, but like, I just remember that was like, I had just got to Walnut high school. Like it was like within my first couple of months there. And I was like, why did, like, why did we come here? But it was just crazy. Cause I was like, are we going to get to go home? Like, like, like what's going on? You know, like, what do we, like, how do we process like this amount of grief and trauma? And like, I don't know, basically we just continued to go to class, but yeah, that poor kid, he just wanted to get some attention from his ex-girlfriend. And I don't think he intended to actually kill himself. I think he wanted to hurt himself um, to get attention from her, but he ended up passing away. It was really, really, really awful. I remembered like, you remember like in high school, your feelings were so intense because your hormones yeah. were raging. Oh, it was yes. literally like when I first fell in love or whatever, my first crush in high school, I literally thought to myself, how can I ever recover if this person isn't in my life oh in my the future yes. you know like totally but then but then like now I'm just like oh all of that was just like I know, you know you, you, it's just training <laughs> you know what I mean the first yeah. time you feel it it's so intense and so intense. um that's that really sucks about how he passed away like yeah. that because it's so young and he still had so much more to learn and so much more to to experience you know and um that goes back to talking about like mental and emotional health the ability to have therapy or like going to a school counselor yeah. and having those conversations in a very open and vulnerable way totally. you know hopefully he ha- oh, like it didn't sound like he had anyone to talk to about it right yeah right and and that's like what sort of transpired after that and Um, and that's kind of intense because like, I also, um, you know, my, my experience was very similar to yours because like, I was also 12 when my grandmother passed away and it was, I just remembered my, my parents were, you know, she was sick for a very long time. And then my parents told me that we're going to go see grandma. I was just like out of nowhere. I, I canceled the rest of my school year. It was like in May. Flew back to town, but she already passed. So they didn't tell me that she died. You know, it was why something do that Asian families out. do that? They, I don't know why they do that, but I think they were just like we were so young. They were like, we don't know, yeah. like how to really 
reveal it to you. And, you know, my grandmother came to New Jersey to visit us and, you know, she very much came to Holland and like take to take care of me mm. when I was first born. And so they didn't know how to like share this information with me. Well, when I got there, I still didn't really know what it was to lose somebody. Yeah. I saw my father cry when he gave his, um, speech his eulogy you know what I mean like he never saw him so broken like that you know and like as a 12 year old you know and then like I was crying and I saw my cousin and she was sad but she didn't she wasn't crying and I was like is that is that wrong like you know what I mean like is there a right and wrong way to grieve Mm -hmm. and I think that was the very first time where I experienced all these people reacting or processing their grief in a very different way right and also like in terms of like the ritual process it was like a two-week funeral process you know right. you have to like bye bye you have to do all these things and like the the soul basically is here they come back the second week to the house to revisit you have to leave all the lights on wow. you know culturally it's it's um it was quite an experience because we were there for a very long time um to go through this post-death process for my grandmother and then uh the death another death that really shook me was um I was really close to this guy named Danny in high school mm. and we were we were close like I really enjoyed his friendship and you know we would hang out and all that but for some reason um I started becoming really mean to him and um I just was not nice you know, and you know, we were talking about like, oh, were you toxic before? Of course, you know, you go through your own versions of it and you yeah. take advantage of, you know, your friendships that you've had with people. And I remembered, I remembered like Danny cooking for me one time um, in high school and mm. it was like burnt mac and cheese or something like that. Like it was not good, oh. but I still ate it because, you know, he made food <laughs> for me. Yeah. And then I started becoming really mean to him. I don't know why. And then I just remember the last thing we've ever said to each other. I just said something super mean that like, and we never spoke ever again after that. Like I was not oh nice to gosh. him. And then he got into a car accident two years afterwards and he he passed away immediately. He was so young. He was like 18. And that really broke me because it just made me realize that was my first close friendship death where I felt so much guilt about right. how I left things. Yeah. How I like how I should have treated him better, how I should have like why, you know, like the way you end things, sometimes you just let time pass. You never have closure. You never have whatever. You never know when is the last time you're going to see someone. Never. Or, or or talk to them again. And so this one really came out of the blue. And that was my first friend mm. that passed away that I felt like I that I hold guilt and grief over still, you know, because I was just so mean to him. And, you know, when I studied with him before that happened, yeah, he would make me food. And come on, 16 year olds making each other food like isn't that sweet? Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, but that's so, tough because yeah. that's that is a really big lesson like I I know you now like I know that you try to leave every interaction with anybody as positive Mm -hmm. as you can and like so kind of I never heard that you know I never knew about this friend of yours and so I think those moments in which like obviously we regret and we feel awful but they they inform who we decide to become yeah there are definitely life lessons yeah um so that one really hurt Mm -hmm. and I think Something that really, I think, distincts your experience with death and mine is that, like, you are you're surrounded by 
people who like you have to care for dying loved ones sure you know and that was like in your because i my environment I, I live very much solo right you know what i mean i'm not around my extended family all the time right there's actually a freedom and gift in that disconnect but mm. like can you explain to me what it was like like yeah. sort of that process i yeah i think that I've had fewer like sudden deaths in my life, knock on wood, as of right now. I, I haven't experienced too many very sudden deaths, um, but I've, I've experienced a lot of like long term care deaths. And so so my family on my mom's side, they're BRCA2 positive. And so um, that basically um, means that you have a high chance of getting either a combination of breast and ovarian cancers. Um, mm. And I think if you get cancer before you're menopausal, then the cancer that you get is going to be much more aggressive. Um, so, yeah, I just um, I think my first experience with like long term care was like my my grandmother. And so right before my grandmother got sick, my actually my uncle in in Taiwan got sick and I actually made a short film on it uh, on it called 35 Days um, when Roxy and I were in school. And it was about my uncle who um, was extremely ill. And so he sent his daughter away from him because he didn't want her to see him suffer. He sent her away to live with us for the summer. Um, And basically the film just talks about what that experience was like. So I basically put my family through torture because he died. And then like immediately I wrote this script and like within four months, my mom's have to, having to like reenact like the traumatic moments of the past few months. But it was how I was able to process things too, because I just couldn't understand. And I wasn't that close with my uncle, but I just couldn't understand like how someone so young and so healthy and I, we had just been on a cruise the summer before, could just suddenly be gone. About a year after that, my my grandmother found, found a lump in her throat. And so a little bit of background on my grandmother, she had survived breast cancer and ovarian cancer, I think in total, um, either three or four times. And she had done chemo when she was in her 70s. She And she had gone through crazy surgeries and all that. And she had survived. Right. And so when she found this lump, it was right after I had graduated college. Um, and I was home, you know, I was home and, um, I was available. So I was tasked with driving her to the hospital every day to get radiation, um, on her throat. And it was, one of those things where like, I think when you're in battle with somebody, you never really consider the possibility, at least me when I was like young, like 21, I never considered the possibility that she would actually pass. I mm-hmm. I was just in like battle mode with her. And even up till the, to, up till the day that she actually passed away, we were there sitting there in the room with her counting like her breaths. And I still couldn't like fathom that she would actually be gone. And like, we didn't have like a final last moment because in the last two weeks of her life, she was pretty much comatose. Um, and so it was really sad because so she did the radiation, which I wish she didn't do because it made it so she actually couldn't eat anymore. And then once you can't eat, you have to put in a GI tube and then your, your quality of life greatly, greatly diminishes. Like I can't, I can't express enough how important it is to masticate your food. You know what I mean? Because like it, it, I saw her entire health, even though she's getting all the nutrients she technically needs. I just saw her entire joy, all the joy in her face was gone. All of the, the, the color in her face was suddenly gone. 
Mm-hmm. And so the last few weeks of her life, um, I'm so fortunate that I had my aunt, my, my favorite aunt, sorry, I'm putting that, I'm putting that in the, in the public, my favorite aunt Shanti, um, she was there with me at every point, um, whether it was changing a diaper, whether it was changing the sheets because something had become soiled, um, whether it was, you know, hooking up, um, um, food, uh, like, you know, whatever the food bag was to her GI tube or, or taking like, um, taking vitals. Um, we, we did a lot of that together and, um, it was such a good bonding experience. Um, but it was really, really, really difficult. Like I ended up getting like stress sick a few times and I'm embarrassed, but I had to like leave the room like for a day or two at a time because it was just like too much, um, for, for me. And I do remember the day she passed, I was in the room, um, along with some of my aunts And I just remember my aunt was howling. And I just remember thinking like, don't call her spirit back, like let her go peacefully. Um, But now I'm like, it's her mother. She could, she should be able to react however she needs to. Um, And I was so afraid of death. I was so afraid of dead bodies. Um, But my aunt Shanti kind of like pulled us all together. And she was like, Priscilla, go get some warm water you're going to wash grandma's hands. And everyone else was given a different task. I honestly cannot remember anybody else's task, but I was given the task of washing my grandmother's hands. So I filled the basin with warm water and I got like a little rag, a clean rag. And I went over to my grandmother's body and it was still warm and I washed her hands. And I'm so grateful that I I know that she was just going off the cuff, like she was making it up as she went. But that memory of my grandmother and her hands is actually so precious to me because it helped me build a relationship with her even past the curtain of the living into the dead. How did this whole process emotionally prepare you for her eventual passing, especially at that young age? I was wrecked. And Rox, I think I went to go live with you right after this, pretty much. And I was, mm-hmm. and I know many a drunken nights where I would just be on the floor crying because yeah, I missed were. her. Yeah. Um, but I think that it allowed me a very intimate, um, in a way, precious seat at her death. Weirdly, it's the most intimate moment I've ever shared with my grandmother, in a way. I think I also saw how much like we don't have agency over our own death and how much we do because my grandmother that day that she passed um, seemed like she could go at any minute. But it wasn't until my mom got back from work and patted my grandmother on the head and said, I'm home is when she started to take her last breaths. It was like very, very, very distinct. Like her breath was very shallow and light the entire day but the second my mom got home from work all of the sisters were there now and my mom pat her and just let her know like hey I'm home then my grandmother like let go and I had never I've heard stories about it but I'd never been privy to that you know what I mean Mm -hmm. um and so in a lot of ways it was a very beautiful moment but for me and my experience with it it was such extreme anger and grief um that it has taken me 10 years to process like i think i'm just now beginning to accept like the beautiful aspects of her passing as well 
I think in every single one of our lives, we have to go through this really major one as our first letting go, right? And um, it's a beautiful and tragic experience all and a learning experience all folded one into one beautiful mess yeah. of, of, of a memory of, of, you know, someone's energy still around. And like you dream of that person, they visit you in your dreams, even to this day, you know, they're, they're still around, you yeah. know what I mean? And that energy is still around. A death is really just a stage like it's not. I don't think it's the final frontier. You know what I yeah. mean? I still feel like there's a lot more that we have to understand. And um, it, it's every person who's like in your life that's like affecting you in a major way is a gift, but nothing lasts forever. And that is one of the biggest lessons that we have in our life is that like, no matter how much you love or you try to hold on, like everything is temporary. Yeah. Right. It's true. So Rox, you've dealt with more so, sudden deaths like in your life um i think in terms of this i mean i've never had to care for a dying loved one Mm -hmm. the way that you had and i think a lot of that has to deal with because i'm not in taiwan Mm -hmm. you know and and not and um and i don't have you know my parents you know they take very good care of themselves and um i don't have any siblings you know like i'm very much a loner in that aspect Mm -hmm. and i think my relationship with death has has changed so much from the past to the present because my you know my whole thing is you know I love making friends and mm-hmm. I love making connections I love developing relationships with people and then now I realize that now I know so many people and death is all around me wow every every day on Facebook or something someone passed away or like someone someone it's happening at a much faster pace and then you're realizing you know us in our 30s now like sickness can take you Mm. anytime now we're not invincible we're not invisible we are all mortal and you're you're hearing all these things about what people are going through and so now it's like death is so much more constant but because it's more constant it's sort of like that first love feeling i was telling you about you sort of become not immune that's like the worst way to describe it but you recover quicker yeah like you've mapped out grief in a way like there's a roadmap for it once you've been through it even though it doesn't make it any better but you at least know the road signs for sure and uh because you're accumulating so much history in Mm. your life your experience your world it's like that also comes with a lot more loss. Yeah. The more you connect, the more you attach to people, the more you attach to things, celebrities or like icons you look up to yeah. or like things that define your reality. It's like the loss is just as much in a way. And you have to train yourself to be accepting of that. So I, I'm constantly thinking about death, mm. you know, I, I and, and that's affecting like what you said before, how we treat our present and how we leave things with people. Because the thing with Danny is still something I carry to this day. Like there's still so much that I wish I could have done differently. Like the way I end things with people, I'm like, do I really want this person in my life? Do I really want, you know, like how, like just trying to do everything with love as much as you can when you have the choice to make that decision. Right. right? Um, and, and now just like, you know, because of social media, you're, you're getting all this information a lot faster, mm. like about the death or the loss of loved ones. And then just makes you think about the fragility of life and yeah. like the lessons that we take away from everyone we lose. And sometimes that does make me feel scared. Yeah. I don't know what I would do when 
it, it, because I don't think I've had that moment yet, to be honest. I've been very blessed so far. Um, but I know that the moment I really lose someone super close to me, whether it's like one of my best friends, like you or like my parents or something like that, like, I don't know how I can handle that. Yeah. Like, uh, friends that have lost like a sibling, I, I, I can't imagine, like I can't, but so how did your parents model grief for you in the home? It's not something we talk about really. Interesting. Um, it's, it's hard to talk about because you're afraid of, what is it? Cracking over a gazer, you know, of emotions. And, and I think showing emotions is like in, in Asian culture, Yeah is such a forbidden thing. You just want to be strong when you lose someone. Right. You know, and there are moments when that gazer just explodes and I see my mom crying. It's always either like nothing mm-hmm. or it's everything. Interesting. But there's not a healthy gradual process. Right. And also in in our culture you don't really talk about mm-hmm. your emotions. You don't talk about how you felt maybe at the funeral Mm -hmm. because that's expected of you to like paint back those stories of the legacy they left behind when they were still alive. But no, no one really, because everyone's afraid of like, Oh, people think the more you talk about it, that means you stay longer in your grief, but that's not true. No, no. I always think you have to go down to the bottom of it before you can start coming back up. And as, as much as you try to stave off that, descendant process that descend like that dissension you're still just going to end up there it's just going to take longer you know what i mean like you have to hit the bottom of grief somehow to come back up and recover so i i feel like a lot of people try to like they're like either try to find a hack or like try to find a way around it but there's no way around it you end up there whether it's sooner or whether it's later, whether it's a long journey or a short journey there. I actually have two questions for you. Mm. One of them is like, for me, if I lose the, lost a loved one and I want to talk to someone about it, I also feel like I'm burdening people with such a heavy yeah. emotion and, and heavy, you know, it, it's a lot to really put on people, Yeah, especially if it's a long-term process of healing. Yeah. And everyone's like trying not to talk about it so that you could be distracted by other things. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's that's sort of it, it's a I, I think that I wish we could talk about more ways of coping with grief and how we could be in support of each other. And I know there's another way where people are just like, don't just just let them be, you know, don't sure. bring it up. It's just too triggering. Um, but I don't know if that's always the case. And I think that it differs from like every situation. Yeah. But like, who do you talk to when you're processing that stuff? Well, you know, I see a lot of graphs and charts that are like, don't say this, say this, and don't say that, say that. But the fact is like, I want to empower people that no matter what your friends are going through, you know, your friend, so you Mm -hmm. can be there for them. You don't need to follow a script. Um, but I would say a lot of my friends, um, like I, I have a very close friend who just lost her mother uh, about a year ago and it is awful. And I think having gone through a certain amount of loss in my life, I was like, all I know is that in that moment, I want to know that someone's there for them, even if I'm not ready to talk to them. Um, and so I think for me, one of the things is like, I found that when people offer just condolences, it's really great. Um, I actually really appreciate it because it just shows like that they care. 
And then the second thing I would say is like, if you promise someone you'll check in on them, check in on them. If you promise someone you'll be there for them, really be there for them. Don't just say you will. If you say I'm checking in on you, check in on them. Um, and I would also say they probably want to talk about it more than you want to talk about it. Um, and a lot of like sitting with my friend was like, she just had so many funny memories of, of her mom or, or memories of her mom in which she's really angry or, you know, all of these conflicting weird emotions. So the fact is like, usually they do want to talk about it more than maybe you're ready to talk about it because yeah. it's uncomfortable and it's not nice and neat with a bow, but it needs to be said like, and sometimes it's as simple as like me sharing a memory that I had of her mom as small as it was because it was a moment that she, it was a new moment. You know what I mean? It was a new moment to her because it happened to me. And she's like, I get no more new moments with my mom. Wow. That's so beautiful. I love that so much. No. And my second question, this is actually about something that you brought up earlier, where I'm sure a lot of our listeners would be curious in hearing about as well, is that your uncle, he sent his daughter away yeah, so that she didn't have to see him suffer, but she missed out, right, yeah. on the passing. She did. Right. So first, what would you have done? Second, how is she coping with that hmm. pro process or how that happened now? Was she angry about it? Was, was she, did she want to be there for it? I think that my cousin, and I think why I, I, I wrote the short film about her is because she's kind of inscrutable. Um, mm. So, and obviously there's a language barrier and, um, you know, she was, she was pretty quiet um, and withdrawn. And I don't think she was happy about being sent to our house. Um, I think at a certain point we were really starting to kind of click as a family because she'd lived in Taiwan my whole life. So this was like the first time we were getting to know each other. Yeah. Um, but I think in terms of him sending her away, I don't know that I wouldn't have done that. Like I can empathize with what he was going through because he was like, he looked terrible at the end. It was like to see photos, like my mom didn't even want to show me and like my sisters, like, like they didn't want to take photos of him at the end because it was pancreatic cancer and he wasted away, you know? Um, it's like he would much rather have her remember him healthy at his prime. Yeah. Um, at the end of the film, like the climax kind of centers around the fact that my uncle passed and then my mother decided she's having such a good day. Let's not tell her yet. Mm. It made me so angry and angsty and anxious because I was like, I would want to know. I would want to know the very second it was happening. Um, but my mom, I think, you know, being a little older, a little wiser and a little more Asian <laughs> in a lot of ways was like, able to compartmentalize mm -hmm. not just the death of her brother but like the fact that his daughter needed to have one more good day before the news oh, 
And in that way, I, can, I could see why Lulu Wang made the farewell. Yes. You know what I mean? And like you understand why some people keep secrets because it's all out of love. Yeah. You know, and those cultural differences. Yeah. Um, having one good day oh, before the news hit, that is insane. Yeah. Well, Goatees, if you have similar experiences or want to share with us some personal stories regarding grief and loss, you can email us at hello at two horny goats or tweet at us two horny goats. We would love to hear your stories. We're going to take a little break. We'll be right back with topic two after an amazing message from us. Stay tuned. Hi, Goatees. The highlight of our week is hanging out with all of you. If you guys like hanging out with us, why not suggest two horny goats to a friend? Whether it's your coworker, long-term BFF, or your quarantine buddy, drop them a link. We're available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Hey, Priscilla, did you do a little dance break? I did a little dance break. I feel like we all needed a little bit of like shaking it out, you know? Yes. I'm on TikTok now, so. You are so TikTok famous. Everybody, please follow Priska. Priska cooks for recipes on Taiwanese and Korean food making. It is litty as fuck. I'm going to fucking try the um, the so long tongue recipe when I get back. I can't wait. Um, It's so so, so good. You know what's funny? I feel like it's easier for me to um, share like Korean food history or Korean f- recipes because um, like because I'm learning it you know what I mean yeah. but for Taiwanese food I'm like oh, I don't know what do people want to know like what's really <laughs> interesting because I just grew up on it so it just seems like water to me you know it's like asking a fish you're like learning something new and you want to share that with like people totally <laughs> But yeah, if you guys want some like stupid cooking videos, um, you can follow at Priska Cooks on TikTok. <laughs> you will not regret it. It is literally premium content. Um, so hey. uh, on that note, premium content, we're going to yes. go back to our very heavy topic today. Uh, remember that this is a trigger warning in terms of like what we're talking about. But topic two, we're going to talk about handling grief. Okay. So Priscilla short-term and long-term grief those are two very different processes and uh so how does grief show up in your life for you so like i was saying in uh the first half um my family we have had a lot of tremendous illness in our family and i think from the age i remember being maybe like nine um and it was when one one of my aunts or my grandma had cancer at the time i like ran downstairs to my mom and i was like i swear i have cancer like i swear oh i have God. breast cancer i have it and you know i lifted my shirt and my mom was like feeling my 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 breasts and she's like yeah th- there's nothing honey you're, you're fine you know i was just like it was just my boobs starting to grow <laughs> i was like it's cancer get these bitches off of me <laughs> but um you know i've I, i've talked about T cells and white blood cell counts um, and, you know, various types of chemo ever since I was very, very young. That was like the talk that was in our house, you know. Um, And so, um, you know, we lost my grandfather to cancer, my grandmother to um, breast and ovarian cancer that had metastasized. We lost my uncle to pancreatic cancer. And all of that was like, all right, this is awful. This is terrible. Um, But um, grandparents, they were, they were in their seventies and my grandmother was in her eighties. It's like acceptable. Obviously my uncle, it was just, all right. He was too young, but you know, maybe every family has b- bad luck. Um, and then about five years ago now, wow. My aunt Joanne who had, um, breast cancer in her late twenties, maybe early thirties, 
um, one of my earliest memories is actually sitting in a bathtub with her. She was bald from chemo um, and we were in a bubble bath together and she put bubbles on her head to be like hair to not be as like scary and alien looking. Oh, wow. um, that's my, one of my earliest memories. I, I was maybe four or five at the time. I was really young. Um, and so she, I think her cancer had metastasized to her lungs and she was very young. Like she was in her fifties. Um, she was like kind of the cool aunt growing up, you know, like she'd wear like red lipstick and she studied architecture and she like was kind of worldly in a way that all of my maybe more religious aunts weren't. Um, and she was probably the one who I grew up closest to. And within three months, um, I'll never forget that call. Like we thought she was doing better. We thought things, the treatment was going well. We were, we were thinking it was on the up and up. Um, and I even told my husband, I was like, Hey babe, like, I think like my mom's saying the cancer's like, it's, it's more aggressive than, than we thought. And he's like, no way, no way. Like she looks so good. Like everything's looking fine. And then my mom sent us a scan and it was literally her lungs. And it was the entire thing was like milky white because it was just oh my cancer. God. It was just, it was a cross section of the lung and it was just completely milky white. Um, and I still can't fully believe that she's gone. Like sometimes I'll drive back by her condo um, that she had with my uncle Steven and I'll still be like, no, but she's home. It's weird how it sort of presents itself to you that way. Like people aren't really gone or their memories are never really gone. That their presence and their spirit still lingers despite them physically not being here anymore. And like, do you feel like you're better because it, you've been surrounded by death so much that your ability to cope with grief is like, do you feel like it's better? Do you feel like you have a process now? Like, uh, did you also become getting better at handling grief is mm. the question. I don't think that I'm desensitized at all. Um, yeah. You know what a sensitive person I am. Yeah. I'm, I feel things a little too much. And, you know, the mm -hmm. way it was modeled in my life, you know, my parents were always like, well, they're going to Jesus. So, you know, there's kind of no point to grieve because we're going to see them again. But that wasn't a good enough answer for me. Um, yeah. But I feel like grief, it it's kind of layered. It's kind of like phyllo dough. It's layers and layers and layers. It's very striated. And you could be fine one minute and all of a sudden another wave of grief hits you. And it could be a day later. It could be years later. Um, but for me, I think, the like I talked about earlier, the only thing that I might have in my possession is a roadmap. That's all I have. It doesn't make grief any easier. But I'll have certain um, roadmaps like, oh, I, I was able to get out of bed and shower today. You know, mm -hmm. and that's a roadmap for me because I'm like, OK, this means I'm like at this point in grief. And even though it's going to suck for like maybe the next three to six months, like I know that I'm hitting a milestone, a grief milestone, if you will. Yeah. Um, and, and that is helpful for me. And that's also helpful in being there for people, because obviously everyone's going to have different milestones and different roadmaps. But just like letting letting them know, like, hey, this is bad. This is awful. I'm not going to tell you it's not. It's fucking awful. But weirdly, you being able to go through your mom or grandmother's like paperwork, that's a big step. You already like 
got out of bed and showered and now you're going through paperwork. So breaking down over paperwork, that's okay. That's a good milestone, weirdly. It's awful. This is awful. There's no doubt. But it's like, as long as you kind of know what the next potentially slightly one shade brighter day looks like, I think for me, it allows me to keep going. Um, and, uh, I think that like, I think there's short-term grief and there can, there's long-term grief. And I think, mm-hmm. you know how it is. You have the funeral and actually it's so weird rocks. Like I've come to like really love funerals. And I know that sounds like odd, but it's like the best, it's like the highest point you're going to hit before the grief starts. It's like, like, like when someone dies, it's like you get on a roller coaster and then you click tick, 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 tick all the way to the top. And that's the funeral. It's the best part of the grief because all of your friends and family are there. Everyone's talking about the deceased. Um, you know, and obviously I know like family drama can happen, but let just, just come with me on this journey really quick. Like, you know, you're, you're, inundated with love and food and flowers and just well wishes from all over the country or all over the world. But what it's like a darker form of a wedding or like yes. a reunion, you know what I mean? Totally. Like, it's a it's reunion. Like the, start of, what, like the wedding start of a cycle and like the funeral is like the end of a cycle, but it's like the reunion for the end of a cycle. You know what I yes, mean? Yes, totally. Totally. <laughs> it's like the, the rap party. <laughs> it's the rap party. It's the rap party. Oh, yeah. God. And so, you know, but what happens a week or two after the funeral? All of a sudden those flowers are dead. Um, all the cards, you know, are stacked in a pile. Um, you, you're just dealing with certain logistics. Um, but then the real work of grief comes the real heaviness, the real darkness, the real fear. Um, but like, give it like two weeks and people kind of expect you to be back at work. They expect you to kind of like be fully operating again together again you know yeah and that's when you're in the fucking thick of it and that's why i can't stand how we treat grief like in western countries because i just don't think we're allowing ourselves nearly enough time to actually process it people are always just like putting a time marker on something oh yeah give them some time two weeks later okay we expect you to be back it doesn't work like that it doesn't really have a timeline linear timeline so did you go to danny's funeral rocks i did not Wow. I was ashamed to go. And also, I haven't been to many funerals. I think I've been, for me, it's it's interesting just hearing you talk about death in the way that you have, like, this entire episode. Like, I'm learning so much from you. Because in a way, I still, in the way that we just talked about the celebration of someone's life as a funeral, because it's always so dark and everyone is so heavy and, and sad, right? And I wish it could be different. Like when I die, I hope that people will be fucking drinking, <laughs> doing shrooms. Yeah. And like having an orgy <laughs> at, my, at my funeral, you know, like, yes. like being like, yo, Roxy, Hold was on, let me fun write this down. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. And like, you know, like definitely like super fun. She wouldn't want us to cry about it. Yeah. You know, like I really want you to celebrate my legacy, yeah. you know, like, like I hope that like the memory of my existence brought you joy, you know, because I think the funerals I've been to it's all just been so sad and everyone's wearing black and I'm like but (laughs) you know like I think who I am now like I just wish that 
they're more, they're fonder memories, you know, mm. and it's not so heavy. And so I actually dread going to funerals and I avoid it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but you know, the thing is, if you ever want to talk to the ones who've passed, you could always contact me at Sun Queen Tarot. That's like, true. It's true. Like, yeah. She's you know, put me I, in touch guys. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. It's true. And they're still around, you know, I think that's very interesting. And I think that's why I think like Mexican culture is so beautiful because it's such a it's so intent on maintaining a relationship with the dead, you know. And I even think like, you know, with like Buddhist funerals, I'm assuming like your grandmother's funeral was a Buddhist ritual funeral. Yes. Yes. And also it's like we still have to take care of their souls after they've passed. Right. So it's like burning money. You know what I mean? Making sure that they could purchase passage to the afterlife yeah. in the most effective way. Oh, and talking to mediums and like talking to, um, to, to see where they are now. Are wow. they on their way? Are they still here? What can we do? We need to go and do more prayers. We need to go and like, you know, burn them a bigger some house. Passage. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's still yeah. like sending them on and burning like a house for them, like yeah. a paper house. So they have a home to live in and a nice car to drive in the afterlife, you know, like the journey just continues. Death is just a certain stage. And, um, and that's great, but like coming, you know, growing up in the United States and like having a very different experience of like what death means, especially with the majority of people that I grew up, the community I grew up in being Christian. Yeah. It was just like the life cycle ends. You go to Jesus, you go to God or you go to hell. Right. And for me, I was just like, I don't know how to handle that. And so all the, you know, movie portrayal, TV portrayal of like uh, funerals, everyone wearing black and like where do they go now i'm just like i don't know i I don't want to think that that's it yeah and i I actually just had a conversation with my mom this week and i was basically saying i was like you know all i heard was they go to jesus everything's gonna be fine i'm like but nobody is addressing the void that is left nobody's addressing that like when they pass through the curtain between life and death like i have no access to them anymore and hopefully there is some sort of afterlife hopefully there is like something that we'll experience outside of this mortal coil but i don't know that for sure and what i know and what i have to still deal with is the absence of this person that i love yeah And no matter whether, like, no matter, like, let's say best case scenario, we do get to be reunited with them in the, in the form that we know and in the relationship context that we had, which is kind of a big stretch, I would say, right? (laughs) But like, let's say that best case scenario, we do get to be reunited with them. I still have to go through every aching moment of this life without them. And so it doesn't make it any easier for me when I think a lot of Christians are like, oh, but we're going to see them again. So it's going to be fine. It's like if you you left for a month and I'm aching already, rocks like you, you're gone, <laughs> like you're physically gone from me for a month. And I'm already like texting you like a crazy girlfriend. Like, you know, <laughs> um, I wish you guys could see our text thread. It's mostly gifts from me being like, hello, <laughs> gifts. Articles, quotes, anything I see that reminds me of Roxy, I just like send them to her. <laughs> it is so romantic. Yeah, Literally, crazy. I'm so seen and loved by you. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, oh, she just loves me so much. And I'm like, wait, I love you too. Like, but I, I, all I write is I love you I too. <laughs> like you get to your phone, you're like, why is my phone battery like at 2%? Like, and it's because of all the shit I'm sending you, you know? <laughs> But, you know, so for, okay, so another story I want to share in terms of like long-term grief for me, um, uh, after my aunt Joanne died, I thought, Mm. okay, we went through that as a family. That was fucking awful. Like, let's try to like recover together on the Thanksgiving after her death. 
like literally, I want to say two months after her death, I was up in Bend at my favorite aunt's house, Shanty, and we were enjoying (laughs) like hot pot, you know, and then had a great Thanksgiving. And then the next morning we get a call from Taiwan that my aunt Lynette had like basically collapsed in her apartment and was rushed to the hospital. And I guess her body was so bloated because I think cancer, um, if it's not treated, it like produces water. I, I didn't mm. really know this, but um, uh, certain types of cancer or illness can can produce water um, and it feeds on sugar. And I would just say her diet wasn't fantastic. So she was so bloated to the point where like water was seeping out of her skin. <gasps> yeah. And it was so intense rocks. And like they thought like literally like. Um, my, my mom and aunt rushed there. Um, but like over the holiday weekend, like Christmas, um, they were, they left a death certificate with them and they're like, just have someone sign it when she goes, because she's like done. So luckily my mom like kind of nursed her back to health along with my aunt and my dad. Um, and they were able to fly her back to the U S. Um, but basically she left her apartment. Like the, the day she collapsed was the last time she saw her apartment. So it was left exactly how it was right when she was living there. Um, and she was the only aunt that I had living in Taiwan. Um, she was really cool. Like she spoke really good English cause she went to um, school in the U S and she translated for like travel shows and she like wrote like food reviews for certain restaurants, you know? Um, and she like at the mall, like when the doors opened, it was her voice saying like, hello, welcome to the mall. Like, <laughs> oh you know, God, like, Menzo, you know, and it, she was just like this really interesting person with like an incredible voiceover voice you know yes like so cool so they flew her back to the u.s and it was an entire process like to get her on the plane because she's not she wasn't a small lady and so they had to get her first class seat but like a full-size wheelchair doesn't fit on a plane so it was this entire like crazy like um almost comedic kind of slapsticky um occurrence and every time she had to use the restroom like half the airline staff had to like (laughs) help her up and get her there and all this you know is a whole to do um but we were really 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 fortunate um that she came to the u.s and lived with us for about a year for just over a year and i really credit my younger sister vicky um, in that instance, I was no longer living at home. And so Vicky was in charge of a lot of the hospital drives and a lot of the long-term kind of care. Um, but it was crazy. Like she wanted to have fun. Like she wanted to like live life. Like the last meal that I had with her, like proper meal. Cause she's like a crazy foodie. I picked her up from the hospital. I'm like, I have instructions to bring you straight home. She's like, please, can we get lobster? And I, <laughs> and I was like, oh, Lynette, Lynette, I'm going to get yelled at. I'm going to get in such big trouble. She's like, she turned to Abe and she's like, but it's lobster. Oh my God. <laughs> so we, so cute. I know. So we drove her to this like Chinese lobster restaurant in like Roland. Yes. And Chinese people honestly do lobster better. I'm sorry. Butter and lobster is great. But like, have you had like dry stir fried lobster? Because if you haven't, like get on it. It's like ginger, scallion and garlic. Oh, oh my so God. good. I get none of that here in Utah. So, you no. know, what? go gorge on that. That's for me. where we're going when you come back. I can't wait. I'll be having dirty dreams about it. <laughs> so we sit down and she already knew what she wanted. 
Like she already yeah. like was ready and she already, or- she ordered enough for like 10 people. Um, and she was sitting there like still had the hospital wristband still like, you know, looked really frail and like basically pl- played the cancer card rightly, you know, cause they were like, I don't know if we can get you a table, blah, blah. She's like, I'm so sick. <laughs> <laughs> Like, if you need to play the cancer card, like, that's she the time. She like someone to that's do it. super fun. She's honestly. so fun. And I but wish, yeah. like, I wish I got to, like, hang out with her more, you know. But that was, like, the last meal she had um, before, you know, falling into a semi comatose state and wow. um, being at the house. And uh, um, again, we were we were there with her when she passed. Um, I, we were in the house and, um, we spent a little bit of time with the body and I just remember them wrapping her, wrapping her head in, in, in white cloth, um, before wheeling her out. And, Obviously, that was super challenging, especially because she had spent so much time with us the year before she passed. Um, and again, I think I shared this before. It was the first time I actually saw my mom unable to cope with grief. Because yeah. prior to that, it was always heaven. Look to heaven. Jesus is heaven. Comfort in heaven. Comfort in, you know, all this peace in my heart. And this was literally the first time my mom was just like, but she's my baby sister. Like, She's so young, like, like not able to fully comprehend it, you know, and, um, a couple of months after she passed. And so this is where long-term grief kind of takes hold is, you know, we had the funeral, we grieved a lot of her college friends, um, messaged me on Facebook, like telling me stories about her, you know, all of, we went through that entire process, um, in June of, um, I think 2017, um, my mom, my aunt, Vicky and I, my sister, Vicky and I, we flew to Taiwan and we were tasked with cleaning out her apartment. And guess mm-hmm. what, Rox? She was there. Like her ghost was fully there. And we like walked into the space and it was like, pfft, like she was like there. And as we were like cleaning up the apartment, like throwing a ton of things away, shredding a ton of documents, I was sneaking, taking photos of like her journal and like sneaking, taking photos of like, you know, kind of her private, like, like musings, even though a lot of them are in Chinese. I was like, cause my mom was like, we should throw them away. My aunt was like, no, I don't want to invade her privacy. I don't want to know things I don't have to know, you know? So I was like sneaking, taking photos. Um, she had all these piggy banks that we had to manually like shake out all of the coins. Um, she had a, a collection of like purses and whiskey and wine and all of these things. But the biggest thing of all was like she was there guiding us through the cleaning out process. And I fully believe that because at the end of it, when we had taped up all the boxes, given everything away, chosen what we wanted to take home with us to the U.S., it was as if she died again. And this was months after her death. This was months after her death. But it was like, I finally got to know her in a way that I didn't get to know her when she was alive. And when I came home, I was probably more fucked up than I was when she, when she originally passed. Grief is seriously a very layered experience. Yeah. 
but that's like really beautiful because it's like when you go and like like in Taiwan we said um the the graveyard cleaning that you were talking about is called salmu mm. so it's like the family goes and everybody partakes in cleaning the graveyard of like a loved one wow. you know like once a year it's like a family trip you know what i mean yeah. to like continue to take care of the ones who are dead but i think there's something really specific about like entering someone's space seeing all their belongings and in, in the way that they left them their energy still being present yeah. in that moment it creates another wave and then, and then like feeling that you're the ones having to get rid of it right right like disrupting disrupting or even eliminating mm. right this space yeah that it's that that you're the ones creating that change you have to change it because they're no longer here and that's like the really hard pill to swallow because i think that's when you really realize oh my god they're actually gone yeah i mean what's that like for you rocks like communing with spirits like communing with people that have passed on it's interesting because um i don't think my abilities are so tuned in to the point where i could see certain memories or i could mm. see certain objects that have significance or past events that have happened all i feel are emotions i feel guilt i feel regret i feel love i feel i feel i feel what they're feeling when it comes to the person inquiring about it mm. And then the cards give me more access to information that they want to share. Hmm. But for the most part, I think in, when I talk, when I talk to them, they're just reconciling with how they live their 3D life hmm. and how they left things with the people they love the most. Hmm. So it's, it's quite intense because love never dies. And to feel that when, when I, if I could provide any kind of comfort or messages to that curtain that you're talking about or being able to lift it just a little bit so there could be that point of reconnection again gives me great joy. Mm. But also the heartbreaking aspect of it is sometimes they love so much that they can't move on. And then the ones in the 3D world feel guilt in not being able to help release them. So it's, it's a very complex relationship that um, we still haven't entirely figured out yet but it does exist um but like i think you know this episode is very much about me learning from you about like all of these experiences that you have because in comparison you've had so much more than me you've gone through a lot more than like i think a lot of people our age and like mm -hmm. you also have a process in how you deal with your grief is also through your artistry yeah. And like the music that you write, Rescue Me, you know, was like the the big, you know, breakout song, as I would say, for <laughs> Prisca. And it, it, the lyrics that you write. Also, the other song that you wrote for your aunt that's on your SoundCloud. That's not mm. what, what what's that one called? Carry You Home. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Oh, my God. That one's so good. Anybody, <laughs> if you ever hear Priscilla, I mean, just hearing Priscilla like sing these songs about, you know, grief like i think <laughs> it will trigger a cascade of waterfalls on anyone's face just because i think we could all really resonate with it but tell me a little bit about that process and if it's healing for you or like what you what you do in terms of that yeah i mean that's a really good question i think that for me um a lot of times like the songs that i write while i'm grieving something um it's not like i'm writing them it's almost like 
they're gifted in the moment. You know what I mean? They're kind of mm. gifted to me. Um, like I, I wrote this song chasm while I was in Ashland and my grandmother passed and I was alone in a way that I'd never been alone. Um, because, you know, I was cut off from community, didn't really have anyone who knew me, didn't have friends, family close, um, which a lot of us are probably experiencing this year. And if you're, if you've lost someone this year, you might be experiencing a certain type of isolation in your grief, which is so difficult. But I think one morning I was just, I was like chopping onions or something. And all of a sudden this melody just came to me. Um, and these words and vivid imagery just came to me. And within five minutes, the song was written. Like literally it was like five minutes, the song was written. And I, it was almost like I was like taken over by something. And then like it left me and I was like, oh, oh, and I looked down and like there was a song there kind of thing. Oh, my God. Um, wow. And that's kind of how it felt with Carry You Home as well. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know what. I don't know where, you know, it's coming from or why it happens or why it's so specific to these moments. But I'm grateful for them because it helps me process a lot of things and it helps me say things that I don't even I'm not even consciously aware that I'm feeling or thinking. Um, but it brings it to the fore because I think music releases your brain in a way, right? Like any, any, any type of art, but music has this funny, funny way of shaking loose anything that you're kind of repressing or pushing down, which is why sometimes you might hear a song and then suddenly be in tears, you know, because it just kind of shakes something loose. It, it, it relaxes something. It, 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 it brings down your resolve to not feel something, you know? Well, that's the power of art is that it goes past the ego right into the heart. Ugh, I love that. Ugh. I'm getting that tattooed on my forearm. <laughs> goes oh. past the ego to the heart. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's the power of music and that's the power of art. Totally. And Rox, like, so last week, um, it was the mid-autumn festival, the moon festival, and mm. I went up on the roof and I was like, I'm going to go look at the moon because that's, you know, what we do. And I'm standing there looking at the moon and I'm like listening to music. Oh, Gracie Abrams again, because thank you, Gracie. <laughs> <laughs> um, suddenly I'm sobbing. I'm literally unable to breathe. I'm sobbing so hard because I was just thinking about all of the mid-autumn festivals that my grandmother had cooked at where she would cook meals that would almost buckle the dining table and she would prepare for days. And like, we would all be standing outside looking at the moon and, you know, 12 year old, 13, 14 year old Priscilla would be like, can I get back on AIM? Like, Oh, like, you know, what are we doing out here? And wishing so hard, like wishing so hard that I could have a do over where I could pay attention, where I could pay attention to every dish that we ate. I just wish I could go back to one. I want to go back and experience one, because I want to take notes. I want to see things and remember them in vivid detail. I want to appreciate the mountain and mountain and mountains of food that were prepared for all of us. Yeah. And I can't. I think that's why people want to invent time travel is to be able to revisit the experiences that we took for granted with the people that we love. Yeah. Like going back to what we've talked about before is trying to live as much as you can in the present. Right. Because you never know that like even something as simple as like a dinner with someone is something that you wish that your future self would wish that you could have again, even for just 30 minutes to an hour or even just 10 minutes. 
to be able to relish in that space again. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, this has been a very, I mean, thank you, Priska, for sharing all of those beautiful memories and like your experiences in like coping with loss, because I haven't been through as much as you have, you know, and like you've obviously carried a lot of, you've lost a lot of important people in your life. It's not just one or two, you know what I mean? And, um, mm. so again, like we want to say to our goatees, like live in the present, you know, cherish the now. Remember that, like, you never know when someone's going to leave and you never know when some, something or someone is the last thing you're, you know, it's the last time you're going to be saying something to somebody. So like, please just like when you have a choice, remember to do it out of love. So on that note, we are going to do our. All right. So I'm going to go first. I'm going to talk about, oh, actually, there really is nothing really here in Utah because I've just been working (laughs) nonstop. But like there are activities here that you probably won't be able to do in L.A. as much. So, of course, like I'm in Park City right now where, you know, it's famous for Sundance and also the skiing resorts. So like winter's coming really soon. You want to go snowboarding, skiing. This is the place to be. And uh, also there's like so many outdoor activities to do. Um, There's horseback riding which I've done really recently. I haven't been on a horse in like 10 years and that was really hey, nice to get back again. that's what again. she said. <laughs> oh my God, yes. I will ride that horse. Oh. I will ride it. And oh it's God, also a very so good cool. core workout. Yes, um, to prep for other things. For, to prep for other things, of course, yeah. anytime you're doing, um, when you're on top. You yeah, know, if you're a yeah. lady, of course, you know, riding yeah. is, is no, definitely. No, my thighs to, burn out so fast. <laughs> good practice to use yeah. those core muscles. Um, <laughs> so like there, you know, there's also fly fishing available here. There's like horseback riding during the winter on those <gasps> snow trails that you can also do. So oh there's like, God. it's so beautiful here. I, I'm shooting in a town called Heber and there's a lot of farmhouses, goats, cows, like lakes. And it's so just idyllic. so scenic. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. Like just driving on a road and you get to see the gradient of fall. You see the mountains like splash with red, orange and yellows. And and, and, and as the wind like breeze as the breeze floats by, like you see the petals fall off like a Kurosawa movie. And it's just so like this is what I love about being here during oh this God. time right now is that it is so fucking beautiful. So if you guys want to check it out, you know, Park City, um, Heber, Daniel in Utah, I think it's just like west, I don't know, east of Salt Lake City. If you want to get away from the city for a little bit, but honestly, nature is everywhere in Utah. I've been saying it in my unsolicited picks. This this state is unbeatable. Like definitely try to make it out here when the COVID cases aren't so high. No, 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 yeah. <laughs> Wait, Rox, can we cosplay as Arwen and Aragorn yes, and like ride horses together? Oh my God, I, the, you oh should come, God. yes, we'll definitely do that and then we'll okay. take photos, okay. obviously. Because I want to wear the ears. Yes. <laughs> you know, and like, oh, yeah, and just and like make out. Play, yeah, we could, I definitely want to dress and drag. Yeah. And, uh, you know, be the hero. Put like a double sock. <laughs> I'm just assuming that to cosplay as Aragorn, you're going to need a double sock situation. Thank you for thinking that I'm that sexy and masculine. I'm I mean, really bitch, into it. Bitch, I've seen your dick. Come on. <laughs> I have a huge dick. Um, and then the second thing is, I have to be honest, I'm not a big fan of the food around here. Um, okay. But there is this fast food chain restaurant called Cafe Rio. What? Um, and, and it's like the Chipotle of Utah. And it's like. It, and, and honestly, it's really fucking good. Ooh. They have this like sweet pork. What? How do you say this? Barbacoa. <laughs> <laughs> That's also one of the barbacoa. One of those words that I never get right. 
Wait, you, you say it. Oh, how do you say it? Barbo- bar- bar- barbacoa? barbacoa. Wait, barbacoa, barbacoa. Pork. Yeah, barbacoa. barbacoa. You got okay, it. Then. You got it. You nailed it. Barbacoa. And they have sweet pork it. that's like specifically <laughs> made by Cafe Rio, and it is so good. <gasps> and like, and it's just like their their salad. I don't know. It's it's literally like the Chipotle El Pollo Loco of Utah, but I, there isn't really much healthy food around here, so that's like what I've been getting before I go to set every day. Oh my god! Um, and I, I love it. It sounds kind of healthy. It's it's delicious and yeah. it's like ugh, the perfect balance of a taco salad there and sweet pork. Amazing. Wow. Anyways, that's really boring. Your turn. For no, summer. it's not boring. That's awesome. <laughs> now, now I know when I go to Utah, I gotta go hit up a cafe Rio. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, for me, I I just finished reading um, "Eat a Peach" by Dave Chang. It's kind of a memoir that he just uh, finished. It's great. I think that for me, um, one, I think Dave Chang's great. I have, you know, I have certain things with him. Like he has a great podcast um, and he has one where he talks to Eddie Huang. And yeah. I think they really break open a lot of like issues that Eddie Eddie has with him, which are similar to the issues that I might have with him. Um, but obviously I'm like a nobody. So like, but, you know, just thoughts that I have on him. And so I think in this memoir, he one of the things he does really, really well that I really commend him for, and I actually wish he did more of this, was he describes Korean male anger in a way that I've never heard it described. So he kind of like talks about how he kind of goes blank in his head and then he kind of almost comes to like later and he's uh-huh. like, oh, my God, like, you know what I mean? He's got like blood on his hands, like yeah. not, you know, and um and his desire for excellence, um, you know, wrought by, you know, the way he was raised and and, and the cu- cultural repercussions that led um, to him becoming who he is. And he can be very destructive and all of these things. And I have a lot of beloved Korean males in my life. And, um, you know, for me as a Taiwanese person, I understand anger in a very different way. Um, Because a lot of Taiwanese people, the biggest thing we really struggle with is being super passive aggressive. So even if we're like seething with anger, we smile and we clench our butt cheeks and we will get back at you in a different way. Like we'd much rather poison you than destroy like your, you know, your living room. (laughs) Um you know what I'm saying? Like we it's would rather. So, yeah, it's it's definitely also also just as painful yes. in a very calculated, you know, methodical way. Yes, it can be very evil. I'm not it's saying very I, evil. I, I, yeah. I think anyone has the capacity to be evil. But like my understanding of anger is very, very different from, you know, what I see in, in Korean culture. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. you know, um, just the like his, him explaining what's going on in his head gave me a lot more empathy for understanding that. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's totally true. And then my second pick is, so I mentioned it at the top of the show, um, but I I, I think it's worth um, saying again, and I'm going to get her name right this time. But um, this book, From Here to Eternity, Traveling the World to Find the Good Death. I highly recommend this book. I think it's really unique. She travels all over the world. She goes to various cultures um, from Indonesia to Mexico to to, um, Japan um, to the U.S. You know, and she 
she searches like all of these different cultures and all of these different spaces for how they treat their dead and what their relationship to death is. Mm. And I think it's really beautiful. It's a little bit uh, not for the squeamish because it definitely talks about like natural burials and things like that. And there are like maggots and whatnot. So if you're a little bit squeamish, um, maybe give it a skim or, or I don't know, maybe like just do the audiobook. Um, but I think it's a really worthy read. So those are my picks. Amazing. All right. I'll be sure to check that out, too, because at least we could have more insight into the how the world sees death. Right. Yeah. All right. Cool. So now we're going to pull a card for the collective. Roxy's going to pull a card. Let's see. Spirit. What can. Oh, wow. So for this week. The Three of Cups jumped out. So Three of Cups is a card that talks about celebration and s- spending time with friends. And like, you know how they're like what? three girls in this image under a full moon? Yeah. That's like us. Oh and my like God. under the full moon that we talk about the Mid-Autumn Festival and also how the moon brings out like our most subconscious emotions, mm. but like also finding joy in that as well. Because I, you know, we were obviously talking about grief and death a lot in this episode, but like yeah. also cherishing the love that you have in the present while you still can mm. so the three of cups is a cups of celebration that is and they're in water there's like fish jumping everywhere they're in nature Ugh, the bounty you know? oh my god wow that's literally like a photocopy of our episode i know no seriously oh my god like deep in, and also you know having your feet in water to me represents like you know water represents love and creativity and also you know friendship here so like making sure that your cups are full with love for the people that you have around you while dancing under the full moon you know the moon will always be there like what we've had lost in the past will always be there but at least you understand and acknowledge that the abundant love that you will always have in your present life no matter who is here or who is gone so that is the message from spirit this week (sighs) incredible you guys what an episode what an episode and uh thank you so much priscilla for sharing so much i mean that was all just so beautiful and like i'm definitely gonna see funerals in a very different way um so everybody make sure to have a horny week our lovely goatees and remember stay horny This podcast is hosted by Roxy and Prisca. Music by Abraham Kim. Artwork by Connie Yen. Please visit us at twohornygoats.com. Have thoughts or questions for us? Email us at hello at twohornygoats.com. Today's outro features a short radio piece our very own Prisca made with her friend, Tractivist, also known as Richie, on the effects of grief. very first dance gently holding both my hands and counting slowly as you led me around the room in slow motion one two three 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 I was four and you were still bald from chemo but you had the energy to teach me the waltz left right 
together, right, left, together, left, right, together, right, left, together, left, right, together, right, left, together. And around and around we went, me and my Auntie Joanne. I can still hear you murmuring those spearmint gum-scented words, never letting me miss a step. The second time I saw you dance was outside Grandma's hospital room. We'd been waiting there for hours, at least four. A doctor poked his head out to tell us her biopsy sample showed no more traces of cancer. (laughs) You wrapped your arms around me and squeezed me harder than I've ever been squeezed before. You released me only to unleash yourself spinning around the room, arms open, eyes shut. Jumping and leaping to a beat no one else could hear. (laughs) Act 3. The third time I saw you dance was in my parents' bedroom. You stepped in, shut the door behind you, and started warbling to yourself. Still recovering from a full mastectomy and hysterectomy, the pills you were on made you loopy. The pills you were on made you loopy. The pills you were on made you loopy. 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 Before I knew it, you'd taken off all your clothes. Naked as a baby, you pranced to and fro and pleaded me to join in. Frozen by the sheer silliness of the scene, I refused to dance. Instead, I implored you to put on your swimsuit. Epilogue Last time I saw you dance was six weeks ago. It was a Sunday and it was hot. It was your birthday. I can still see you perched ever so elegantly on your recliner. Bald but robust. Tired but mischievous. As nearly a dozen people poured in to wish you well. The ice cream cake was presented, and you surprised us all when you sprang to your feet as we sang. Then you danced. Clapping and swaying to a tune not quite here and not quite there. If I had known it'd be the last time I'd see you, I would have leapt up, grabbed hold of both your hands, and danced with you. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. But I didn't know. So I just stood there and watched. <laughs>